Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gen J Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Heffington, and this show is brought to you by your friends at Generation Joshua. As we travel around the country working with young leaders, we meet all sorts of amazing people who are working to change their corner of the world for the better. If you've ever been to one of our iGovern camps, you've probably heard from some of these people. But we thought that it would be awesome if we could sit down for some in-depth conversations and get their stories on the record so that we could share them with the greater Gen J community. This podcast is the culmination of that process, and we think that you're going to find these conversations encouraging and inspiring. So go ahead, pop in your headphones, connect to your Bluetooth speaker, whatever you got to do, and let's get into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gen J Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Heffington, and we are here with a special episode that we are recording ASAP uh, because of the situation that developed on Friday night. On Friday night, we got the news that Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed away. Uh, to begin with, I want to make sure we're going to recap her life and her service. Um, we have, you know, she's she's an iconic figure in American politics and in the judiciary. Um, she was a beloved icon. She had some controversial rulings, um, but agree with her or not, she led a life of service and dedication to the principles she believed in. And I think that it's important uh, that we can recognize that and affirm that and and mourn the loss of her life um, and delve into the legacy she left of of policy and, and rulings and all of this. So I have with me in the studio today Jeremiah Lorick, Gen J's Deputy Director, and Glenn Birch, Gen J's Programs Administrator, and a billion other things. Um, welcome, guys. Thanks for being here. It's good to be here. Thanks for having us. Um, I was in a recording studio on Friday night, and I got the news notification that uh, Justice Ginsburg had passed away, and my jaw dropped, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the next round of, of 2020 that nobody really saw coming. Um, to begin with, what do you have any thoughts on, you know, b- before we kind of rush into the politics and the, the aftermath, we have an iconic justice. She's had movies made about her life, T-shirts, you know, everything. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, in memoriam, what's what's your take? What what's worth what's worth pointing out and thinking about for a minute? Yeah, I, I never met her, but yeah. my Bible study leader when I was in high school studied law under her when she was a professor before going on to serve in the Supreme Court. Oh wow. And I asked him, because I, I was very skeptical, no knowing about some of her more controversial positions. Yeah. I, I asked him kind of cynically one day, uh, what did you think of her? And he said, she was a smart and disciplined woman. Mm. And ever since then, whenever I hear her name, I hear his voice. And he's one of those very principled, like, you know, as, as a Bible study leader, he really invested in us teenage boys. It, it was incredible to see. So he had the principle, but he also had the heart for people. Yeah. And so I, I always, when I would hear her name, I would filter that through what he said. And it reminded me that she was a person. And as somebody who is pro-life... I want to view everybody, even those I most disagree with, through that lens and value their life. And so when I think of her passing, I, I think of you know, the loss that she is to her family, the her, losing her is to her family, to yep. her friends, and to our nation as one of those iconic personalities that many, many people looked up to. Yeah. 
And that, and I think that that's something uh, worth remembering as we step forward into the next few days. Yeah, that's great. Glenn, you got anything to add yeah. to that? I agree completely with everything Jeremiah said. One of the things that really stuck out to me was um, in 2016 when Antonin Scalia died and just the stories of their friendship. And when you look at decisions on the court, you don't really get two so like different, more different views than the two of them had. Right. They were almost always on opposite sides. Yeah. Or it was going to be a 9-0 decision. Like if yep. there was a disagreement, they're on opposite sides. Yep. And yet they are close friends. And it's the reminder that we can hold different political views, different legal views and others and still be good friends. And that I think that's one of the reasons she commanded so much respect, even among people who disagreed with her views. Yeah. It was a whole disagree, but don't be disagreeable type thing. And I think that's something we need more of in politics and in things today. Yeah. And I would like to just point out two other things about her that I think we can take inspiration from. Yep. Uh, one of those is her unwavering belief that women should be empowered. Yeah. She yeah. was the kind of woman who not only believed it, but she acted on it. And then she herself overcame impressive barriers yeah. as she became the second woman to serve on the United States Supreme Court. And she worked her way there through a a whole series of challenges yeah. that I, through her work and the work of others yeah. has removed those barriers for other women entering into similar yeah. fields. Yeah. So that's that's one thing. And the other I love about her is her tenacious spirit. I remember watching uh, Stephen Colbert did a, a uh, I don't know what you call it, a special with her where he and her were, work, uh, were, were um, hanging out and she does yes. her workout her routine. Workout. I saw that. And it's this little old lady yeah. like totally as ancient as ancient yeah. can be yeah. and she's sitting there lifting tiny little weights and yeah. she's doing everything and she is so yeah. devoted to keeping herself in tune so yeah. that she can do her duty to her country yeah. and yeah. I just I love watching that video because it's it's a reminder that even when you're old and frail yeah. uh, you still have purpose yeah. and you, you, you can uh overcome the challenges. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting with her because, you know, philosophically with a lot of the judgments, I would, you know, I think it's, it wouldn't be inaccurate to say that most of us in this room or conservatives in general would usually side, you know, more at the Scalia position on one of their disagreements. Mm -hmm. um, but like for somebody who, you know, in, in some cases, some of her views were, were pr more controversial. They definitely were for the time. But, you know, what's interesting about her is that, some of those things, I think, to a conservative will always be controversial. You know, just it's an ideological difference. Some of her controversy, though, like you're saying, was just with soci societal traditions or norms that actually did need to change. And so it's like, you know, whether it's whether it's empowering women or, or you know, opening the door, paving the way for access to a field or a, or a position, that stuff is great. And that's, you know, I think that that's something that's I have a lot of you know conservative friends who really admire her for for those things and I do as well um, but you know just in all fairness let's dig into you know why you know we you know it, after somebody's life it's like you know we 
all of those baselines of, you know, we're, we're mourning with the family, we're, we're grieving. It's, you know, we, she was a key part of our national fabric of, of this system of government and justice that we have. Historically, what were some of her issues that conservatives, you know, just didn't like? Like, like, like what, what, why did she kind of get the notorious RGB, um, I mean, R, RBG, <laughs> I'm getting my acronyms mixed up. Um, why, you know, why was she notorious in her legal rulings to some people? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the 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 path that she took in life uh, comes from a, a, a far left um, position. She not only was a uh, liberal on the Supreme Court in a very predictable way, uh, but she her path to getting there was uh, as a lawyer with the ACLU, and while. Uh, I personally have worked with ACLU uh, lawyers on different issues in Washington, D.C. over the years when HSLDA and the ACLU agreed on things. We were able to work together and have a very dynamic and powerful uh, uh, right-left punch, right, from both sides of the political spectrum on on issues that we could agree on. And uh, that's really cool. But there are many issues that the ACLU uh, pushes and promotes yeah. that are from the far left, and she was no exception. And the key one, which uh, goes to something that I care very deeply about, uh, the empowerment of women, yeah. it, uh, she uses that, and many use that today, as an excuse to support abortion. Mm-hmm. The issue is, what they, what they forget, and I think something that's really important to remember, is that many of the aborted babies yeah. are women. Right. And they need to be empowered as well. Right. So I, I see her life in uh, a context where she is passionate about something and she's so passionate about it that sometimes she has a blind spot. And sure. I think we all need to uh, be wary of those blind spots we Definitely. have when we have an ideology that we're chasing and it can blind us to uh, to, to do things that would be actually contradictory to uh, what we're chasing after. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's a reminder that anybody, anyone in politics, anyone in general needs to keep in mind. A- anything to add to that? Yeah. Glenn? I think one of the things that the, like one of the reasons conservatives dislike her is just a different framework when it comes to the role of the judiciary. Okay. And a lot of conservatives and a position I hold is that a judge, the courts should call balls and strikes, enforce the laws, but not make new policy. Sure. That is a different view than the liberal view on courts and the role of judges and justices. And so you saw, you can see that at times where the Supreme Court would be bringing out and making new policy, including policies that either voters by polling and stuff have opposed or by specific ballot initiatives with the Obergefell um, same-sex marriage decision. Every time it was put on the ballot, same-sex marriage was never made legal. But through a Supreme Court decision, it was. And she had a very proactive view of the judiciary. And so I think that's one of the things conservatives disagreed with her was just on that um, fundamental view of the role of judiciary and that changes how you're going to vote on outcomes, right. whether you're looking at policy outcomes as coming out of it, or if you're focused more on what does the law, what does the constitution say, right. Right. take out my personal opinions from it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting that just judicial philosophy is like, we tend to associate, you know, 
a more originalist, strict, you know, interpretation with more of a conservative perspective. It is. It, it's conserving, you know, kind of what was originally there. And we'll say it's a more liberal perspective to kind of be more like legislating from the bench or something like that. Activist. Right, yeah. activist. You, Interesting. You want to see a really good argument for originalism and against activism. Yeah. Look at the case that Glenn just mentioned, the over, uh, I can't ever say it right. That, that case. Obergefell. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, look at the dissent by Justice Roberts. And okay. I know a lot of people disagree with Roberts right. on a lot of issues, but his dissent there is a very clear defense of upholding only the law, okay. not coming up with your own ideas and making them law. That's sure. That's the job of the people in Congress, right, right. the legislative and, and you know the, the process yeah. we have of making laws. But the judges should not be doing that. As Glenn said, they should be the arbitrators of how to enforce yeah. the law that already exists. That's an important distinction. And what's interesting is kind of what I was saying with like the, the liberal versus conservative thing. That temptation, like – we do tend to break down to, you know, it's, it's more liberal to be activists, it's more conservative to be originalist. But the temptation of being in power and making a favorable decision to your cause is equal across, you know, the conservative liberal spectrum. We, we kind of assign it, that activism to a more liberal thing, but anybody can do that. You know, it's like it's – that's why, you know, I think it was Justice Scalia – there was a couple times where he he dismayed some conservatives by basically saying that's not in here. I you know I, I agree with you. That's the position you know that's the position I'd uh, you know advocate for too. But I don't see it in the Constitution. So put it if you want me to make that ruling, put it in the Constitution and I'll do it. You know and that's that's an interesting just judicial note that you know it's not necessarily a judge's job in our system to like yes they got to do what they think is right and just to the best of their ability, but also to to what laws are on the books. All right. Anyways, that's awesome. I think it's a it's a helpful recap and some great context diving into our discussion. But now I want to uh, go hunt for the inevitable elephant in the room, um, which is the fact that this the, the, the passing away of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg leaves us with an empty seat on the highest court in the land in the middle of 2020, which is also an election year. What could possibly go wrong here? <laughs> Our year wasn't dramatic enough. We needed something just sliding into October as the election kind of ratchets up. You know, <laughs> what does this mean? Where are we now? Um, that's why I was really happy that both of you guys could join me on a last-minute notice to kind of do this special discussion. I thought it would be timely, and I'm, hopefully our listeners will find it useful and interesting. But let's dig into the politics, the, the battles, the strategies, the history of you know similar situations in our country in times past. As we get into the field of, of Supreme Court confirmations and the battles that get us there, we find out – I don't think – Everyone knew it was a possibility. You know, our judges, Supreme Court justices tend to be on the older end of ages. So it's just they tend to get there after a pretty good career of doing something else. You know, she, uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was one of the older ones on the court. So it's like it not shocking that, that she died. I don't think anyone was necessarily expecting that to happen this fall. So where does that leave us? What, you know, what, what's, what's your take on the moment we're in? Well, there's there's a lot uh, going on. There's so there's two sides that I see. One is the impact on the election, 
yep. basically whoever Trump nominates yep. as his uh, as to, to fill the seat on the Supreme Court, it's almost like they're with him on the ticket. Right. It yeah. is going to be a, a seismic impact on the election. Mm-hmm. It's 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 like having uh, two vice presidential candidates on the ticket. It's yeah. it's, it's that's interesting. Huge. Yeah, it's huge. So we have that on on one hand. Uh, the other side, we have the actual impact and policy implications right. of who this Supreme Court justice is. Right, and this is what uh, really impacted uh, my has has been flowing through my mind since Friday night when I yep. got the nomination. This is this is one of the most important nominations for a Supreme Court justice that I can think of in living history. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know when we've reached something of this level yeah. because in the in the past few decades, the nominees have been replacing people on their ideological side of the spectrum by and large. Right. So for example, Gorsuch replaced Scalia. Mm-hmm. And Gorsuch is on the, the right end of the spectrum. Yeah. And Scalia was on the right end of the yeah. spectrum. Um, Kavanaugh replaced Kennedy. Kennedy is not known as a conservative, but he was in towards the center. He right. wasn't on the yeah. other side. Yeah, exactly. So it was yeah. it, you know center to to right or center to left. Yeah. Obama's nominees, uh, Kagan uh, replaced Stevens, who was also more towards the center, yep. and Sotomayor uh, replaced Souter. Uh, though you know that that they were they weren't seismic shifts, right? Now what we have is the potential for somebody who is on the far left end of yeah. the spectrum yeah. to be replaced by somebody on the right, right. center right, far right, yeah. somewhere on that in yeah. that in that range. Yeah. So that is a huge, huge it's, it's a tipping point. It is a it huge be, tipping yeah, point. Yeah. It'll move from having Roberts being the the swing vote right. in the middle right. to being uh, um, whoever you know, I don't, yeah. I don't even know who's going to be the new swing vote. It's going to be to the right of Roberts. Yeah, Ro- so Roberts is the source of my <laughs> Roberts is the source of my Supreme Court angst a lot of the times ah. because he's kind of awesome on certain issues, and then he's like, and then he's like, I'm like, okay, lights at the end of the tunnel. They're going to you know coalesce around this issue that I really care about, and the Roberts will be like, well. Like I'm kind of with you, but like, and then like it's he's not quite there, and so that would be really interesting to see him not not be in that position. Um, that being said, there's some people. You know, if you've been on Twitter or the news or anything, you see that this is causing an uproar, and some people have historically made the case, kind of like you're saying, which is some people think there's a value in replacing. The, the justice with a justice that's kind of of a similar ideological persuasion. Like basically re- replace, you know, kind of keep a balance, replace a conservative justice with a conservative, replace a liberal justice with a, with a liberal. I've, I've seen people advocating for that just kind of like a if you respect the established order, then you owe it to kind of pick someone who's going to be more like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, yeah. what do you guys think about that? Is, does that hold water? Is that just nice – I, I mean, I, I, 
I don't like the idea. And I, part of that is because you look at history and it yeah. doesn't work very well. The United States had a similar approach, not to Supreme Court justices necessarily, but on the issue of slavery, there was an approach in, in America's early days. So basically like the 1820s to the 1850s okay. was this attitude that said every time we add a free state to the union, we add a slave state and that way the Senate stays balanced. Right, yeah. And the issue I have with that is when it comes to human rights, right. we shouldn't be worried about balance. Right. We should be worried about doing it or not, right? Right, right. yeah. <laughs> so when I think of the issue of abortion, yeah. I think we should we should not be trying to balance the scale between uh, life and death. Right. Instead, what we should be doing is saying we're going to balance the scale of justice, yeah. which includes the right to life. The minute you insert an absolute truth into the equation, it gets a little bit less like just some sort of like balancing the force takes a back seat to, well, let's make sure we're actually doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that right now is the moment to put a pro-life justice on the Supreme court. Yeah. I, 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 well, I think that every time we have a a Supreme court vacancy, but, but just to kind of connect the dots for people, the reason, the reason it's so unique and important this time is because it's, it's gaining ground. It's, you know, we were kind of swapping people out and being like, okay, you were kind of pro-life. We're going to put someone else who's pretty pro-life, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, but this is, a, a big, a big tipping point. Yeah, and that's where, like, on that issue was, I think, part of the reason why Kavanaugh's was such, like, there was so much fight over him. Yeah. Because um, you had Kennedy was, as Jeremiah said earlier, kind of the swing vote, a central, and you didn't know where he would fall on those issues. And especially when it came to life, the concern is that he would vote to uphold Roe uh, stare decisis, it's been the, the decision, we're going to uphold that. Mm-hmm. And Kavanaugh was looked at as being a more pro-life and someone who might yeah. vote to overturn Roe. Yeah. And that was a moving from a swing vote of we don't know what's going on yep. to someone who is, again, it depends on the facts of the case, yep. but might vote to overturn Roe. Yep. And now you have a justice who would definitely vote to uphold Roe. Yeah being replaced potentially by one who is very likely to vote to overturn Roe. And that's why everyone is saying, and especially from the left, now you're going to make the the argument of keep a balance. We want a balance. Right. That wasn't the argument they were making four years ago with Scalia. Right. They wanted Obama to nominate someone yeah. who would uphold Roe and basically be that liberal because they wanted to get the seat. Yep. And so all the arguments they're making right now yeah. is the exact opposite of what they wanted four years ago. Right, right. I think it's funny because people who are super political, you know, any senator, as good as they might be, they're super political people. That's why they're in the Senate. You know, it's like any anyone who's in, it's a voice in government, they're a political biased person because they're literally choosing a side and saying, I want to jump in and get involved. Now, Political biased people can do great things and work together and compromise. You know, but I always crack up when we hit a moment like this. And usually, what it is is the side who's holding fewer cards as far as actual power moves is all like, "You're you're making this so political. You're making you're just I just it's just blatant whatever." And I'm like, "This you realize like why people get into politics, right?" It's so like it's like 
it's a game, not a game, but you know, it's like, it's, there's an equation here. And it's like, when you, when you hold the power, you can make the decisions. And, and that brings us to the whole thing that what do you got? What's your take on, you know, the big controversy right now is, you know, the left saying the president should not, and even actually to not just the left, um, but to senators uh, from the Republican side, at least have said the next president should make the nomination for this for this replacement um that's you know right now republicans tend to be like no we're, we're gonna get it through we're gonna do it we've seen a few break with that though what, what do you guys think you know i, I think well th- there's there's two things at play do you think do you think it's there's a little bit of politics in play <laughs> definitely <laughs> definitely i mean the, the, on, on one hand you have the constitutional uh mandate yeah the constitutional mandate, which says the president nominates yep. and the Senate approves. Yep. You know, that's that's the process. Yep. There's no time frame for that. There's no limits on that. It's yeah. literally just that. Yeah. So uh, that's one hand. Very simple. Straightforward. Everybody's yeah. like, oh, that's a good idea. And then you enter in the politics. Yep. Because, of course, what the Democrats want is they want a chance to have Biden right. nominate that that. Justice, yeah. and so they're going to play whatever cards they have, and you know they're, they're unfortunately for them they don't have the votes in the Senate yep. to stop the president if he nominates a good candidate. Yep, and so what I think is likely to happen is that, or no, th- 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 this is the process. I'm just going to tell you the process sure. first, and then yeah. we can talk about Great. scenarios. Yeah, it's good. The, we need that. <laughs> yeah, What's exactly. the process? Yeah, the process is that the president nominates and sends to the uh, to to the Senate, and the Senate reviews and votes. President Trump will be sending a nominee over probably on Friday or Saturday. That's what we're hearing uh, yeah. right now. Yep. So that, that'll be uh, coming out from him. He has a list of candidates that he has already published, uh, <laughs> you know, surprisingly about a week before yeah. any of this, uh, his, his updated list came out. It's like what he did in, in 2016, put yep. out a list saying, Hey, these are the kinds of people I'm looking at. Yeah. So, you know, we have we have that list, and then of course the the short list is um, the ones that everybody's talking about, where all the buzz is. Uh, but he's going to take one of those. He's going to send it to the Senate. The Senate is going to have it, and they, uh, if they're if they're wanting to drag their feet, they can drag their feet. Yep. If they want to pass it quickly, they can pass it quickly. There are yep. no. Uh, there are no constitutional limitations yeah. to that. So it basically goes to the leadership of the Senate yep. to set the schedule for that. And, you know, you, you can look at history. You can see some uh, uh, nominees have gone through quite quickly. Yep. Some have gone through quite slowly. It, uh, it, it really depends on mostly the politics yeah. of the moment and what's most uh, needed in, in that time. Right. Is that is that bad? That that politics play a role? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, because what I'm seeing, what I'm seeing right now, is tons of outrage, as if you know, because the big question on the table is: is Mitch McConnell a total hypocrite? Because we were in a situation, uh, you know, with the with the Scalia replacement, where it was an election year, and Obama uh, made a nomination. If um, I'm Merrick Garland, yeah, Merrick Garland. And and the Senate 
didn't prioritize a vote on it until after the election. Mitch McConnell made a statement saying, we have an election coming up. I think the next president should should choose. Mm -hmm. People are saying that's huge hypocrisy because, well, if it was good enough for last time, why isn't it good enough for this time? Mitch McConnell doesn't seem to be conflicted on it at all. And basically what it comes down to is, yeah, no, duh. The other party was nominating a candidate and then it came to us and it's like the checks and balances and politically I'm going to do – I'm going to use my political toolbox to, to do what I think should happen. You know. Yeah, well, and, and the reality is at that point yeah. – so back in 2016, the Republicans controlled the Senate. Right. And so the Republicans, led by Mitch McConnell, were basically saying – and I wish they had said it more clearly. Yeah. They, they played yes. a lot of politics, which I think yeah. was stupid at the time, yeah. and I still yeah. think it's stupid. But what they should what, – what, what practically they yeah. were doing was saying – we have the votes to reject any nominee you send us, right. so we will do so if we even need to vote right. until after the election because we have a chance right. of— we have a chance of getting the person we want. Yeah, getting we, somebody we want. Yeah. And so uh, if you look historically, back uh, at the—I think it's the last 10 yeah. times in an election year that a United States president has selected a uh, candidate and they had— their party in control yep. of the Senate. Eight of those times, it was just done. Yeah, it was moved through quickly. It became a part of this, you know, whatever. It, it, like they they could do that, and yeah. and they would because you didn't, you never know what's going to happen after the election. Sure. The president may no longer be in power. The, yep. the, their party in the Senate may no longer be in power. It's foolish for you if you have the power to not do what you know you can do. Right. In if you might lose it. Right. So I, I think that that's kind of how I see it. Uh, I know Glenn has been uh, paying a lot of attention to the Senate. What, what are your thoughts, Glenn? Yeah, I think like the charge of hypocrisy, like you had mentioned, Jeremiah, comes largely from the Republicans in 2016 citing what they were calling the Biden rule, which he had come out in 92, 1992, okay. a long time ago, and said that if a vacancy occurred on the Supreme Court yep. that the Senate should not consider George H.W. Bush's, so Democrat-controlled Senate, yep. Republican president, yep. should not control or should not have a vote on his nominee yep. and should wait until after the election and let the American people decide. Yeah. And so they, the Republicans were making a deal, big deal out of that. Yep. Unfortunately, they never really made the case of... This is because it like I think they were trying to avoid the politics side of we're not voting because it's a Democrat and if this were right. a Republican it'd be different. Right, right. Although everyone knows yeah. if it were a Republican it would have been different. Yeah. Um and so right now the left is loving to point out the hypocrisy right. or some alleged hypocrisy of McConnell and other Republican yeah. senators for saying that. But for every quote from a Republican senator that they're putting out as being hypocritical, right. you can find a quote from a Democrat senator, oh, yeah. from Vice President Biden, yeah. Biden, from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, yeah. quotes of the Senate should do its job yeah. and confirm the president's nominee. And so you have politics on both sides right. that is being portrayed as hypocrisy and yeah. If you're listening to an echo chamber on social media, if you're a Democrat or that's mostly who your friends are, yep. you're just looking at this rampant hypocrisy from Republicans. Yep. If you're a conservative and that's who your friends are, you're looking at this rampant hypocrisy from Democrats. Yeah. And from the politicians, 
Yeah. I'm not surprised at the hypocrisy, <laughs> like, at that. Yeah. It's politics. Yeah. That's what it is. Well, what I'm more annoyed about is, like, the average people mm-hmm. who are, like, being hypocrites themselves uh-huh. with all of this stuff. Yeah. And then the hypocrisy... Basically, you've got charges of hypocrisy being labeled at everyone, and sure. everyone except for me, myself, and I is a hypocrite. Right, yeah. And if yeah. you really want to go at that, the only two people in the United States Senate who are not hypocrites are Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. <laughs> right. Because I think both of those, both of them came out in support of the Republican not doing anything on the Garland nomination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they're the only two senators being consistent. Yeah on what they said then and what they said now. Yeah. And I'm interested, Murkowski's not up for election this year. I'm interested to see how that plays for Susan Collins in Maine with her election there. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, to me, I don't know. I don't read every tweet on Twitter. Good heavens. You know, (laughs) it's sad enough to just spend 15 minutes on Twitter. It's like, I don't know what people said. I don't know exactly what Mitch McConnell said or, you know, what, what interviews he gave last time around. But it seems pretty clear to me. I'm like, why can't people just realize this is politics? We do the same thing. You are supposed to do str- the best strategy for what you believe is right when you when you can. Yeah. And I just don't understand the, I like, I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't think it's hypocrisy if if your standard is basically if you know if if the president and the Senate are united and they're in the same party and of the same mind, then this moves forward. If they're divided, well. Do you think the Senate, if they have the votes, is going to hold it up? Of course they are. You know, and yeah. I think if they then were clear about it last time, of course nobody in the moment nobody wants to be like, yes, we're clearly making a politically yeah. motivated move, but everything is so, yeah. like, especially in the Senate. And so. that's I was talking with Jeremiah the other night, and I'm like, I said there that like if you think that if stuff changed around just yeah. a little bit as far as timeline, yeah. and instead of it being Scalia dying in 2016 yep. and Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying 2020, right. it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away yep. in 2008 yep. when President Bush was in office and the Democrats controlled the Senate. Yep. If they would have, like, if you think that the Democrats would have voted on President Bush's nominee, right. then, <laughs> right. or that they would have voted on President Obama's nominee, like, or say they would not have voted right. on President yeah. Obama's yeah. nominee to replace Antonin Scalia if yeah. he passed away in 2012 in that presidential election year. Right. If you think that the Democrats would not have done the yeah. exact same thing Republicans are doing right yeah. now, I've got oceanfront property in Colorado to send you. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so true. And then my question is, and this is why I asked you earlier, is like, is that then bad? I don't see a case where it's bad. Yeah, you know, like, like, I, I, I wish that they were more consistent with their words and with their treat, messaging. They, basically, they treated their words more valuable. But okay. they're politicians. I mean, yeah. we kind of have come to the, to the point where we don't expect politicians to mean everything they say. Right. So I do wish they had more character. I wish. So they, kind of they couching did. it, couching it in the Biden rule as like the main reason. Looks like hypocrisy. Yeah. Yeah. What I would rather, what I'd rather hear my yeah. my senators have um, say back in uh, 2016, yeah, would be no. I'm not voting for Merrick Garland because Merrick Garland is not a constitutionalist. Right. I'm not yeah. voting for Merrick Garland because Merrick Garland doesn't believe in fundamental rights right. like the right to life. Right. I, I would much yeah. rather hear yeah. that kind of message. Yeah. Say and guess what? We have the votes. We don't have to vote for Merrick yep. Garland. Exactly. And since we, you know, and kind of like. And again, yeah, they take heat because it's, it would be like, oh, what a political move. But it's like no one who's being intellectually consistent would think the other side would do anything different. And not, and you know, I think 
in the realm of politics, I don't think you're called to do anything different. I think you're called to do what's right. You're not called to like honor is important, but not like silly honor to where it's like I'm going to not vote on something that would actually advocate for what I believe in because I think it would be nice if, you know, you got to decide <laughs> when when you're in power. You know, like I don't know. I don't think I don't think pe- people are. People. I think it is fair for the pe- for people to be upset at the hypocrisy okay. of, of politicians. Yeah. yeah, I think that I am glad that Senator McConnell and others are willing to move forward on yeah. a principled position, which yeah. is to get a principled constitutionalist yeah. and pro life judge on the Supreme Court. Yep. Yeah, to me, like the biggest issue that I have with the uh, politics is not with the politics per se, but is the fact that the Supreme Court has gotten to the point where it is so important mm-hmm. that you have the political gamesmanship and stuff yeah. to try to get the right justices or keep the wrong justices, depending on your view, yep. but to get justices onto the Supreme Court. Yep. The fact that it has become the court has become so influential and powerful when it comes to our day-to-day lives and so many things. I hate the fact that we're playing politics with the court Mm -hmm. because in my view, the court should not be anywhere near as powerful as it is. And ultimately the decisions they make should not have massive overwhelming ramifications Uh that completely upend day-to-day life for people. Right. And the fact that they do now, that's a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're seeing the politics being played. And when the court has turned itself into the issue like it has, then I wish we didn't have the politics being played about it. Yeah. But... Let's That's do, where we're at. Let, I want to move on to kind of more specifics of this confirmation process in a minute, but let's spend just a second there before we do. Um, why is the Supreme Court, why, you know, has it turned itself into this? You know, is it Congress abandoning their power? You, you know, what's the deal? Is it basically, would you say the issue is that the Supreme Court has, do they put too much value in precedent? Like, like, does our legal system, you know, because what we see, like you said, you know, it's impacting decisions from the Supreme Court will impact our day to day life almost as if it's legislation or almost as if it's, you know, the new law or something. Why is that? Why isn't it just a check on Congress saying, actually, no, you can't make that law? You know, like, you know, why is it suddenly, you know, feeling like it's more like a decision from the Supreme Court impacts, you know, your your Tuesday or something, you know? Yeah. I think some of it is just there's a like. When it comes to decisions from the court, yep. there's now a like there's an interest in the policy outcome of it. Mm-hmm. And so there are times where they will make policy that is now policy that Congress has never voted on or they've defeated or you have uh, ballot initiatives and stuff that has gone one way and then the Supreme Court overrules it because they don't like the policy. Mm -hmm. And what I wish they would do is, at times, be willing to throw Congress under the bus, but say, like, (coughs) Congress did not say this in the law. Yeah. They should have. Yeah. And stuff, but I can't rule and say that this law applies here when it doesn't. Yeah. And making these cases about stuff that the Constitution doesn't talk about, Mm -hmm. the laws of the United States don't talk about, and making policy outcomes coming from it, yeah. 
I think that's where they've done is they've put too much of a focus on getting a specific policy outcome okay. from the decisions yeah. as opposed to being willing to say, do I like what I'm about to write? Yeah. No, but Congress hasn't addressed this issue. and So basically too much agenda from, from the different justices basically saying – you know, I'm going to rule this constitutional or unconstitutional, and I'm also going to to kind of like word it or or shape it in such a way that it kind of like you know, because I mean that's the interesting thing is the Supreme Court their job is to strike out either entire laws or entire broad chunks of laws that or, or or specific chunks of laws that they deem unconstitutional. What's the difference in your mind between that and just kind of tailoring the law because they are their argument is always the constitution that's what that's their job so they always couch it in the constitution how can you tell or how can you how can the average person make a good judgment about when it's activism and when it's just following what's there you know well i think one of the key things is what scalia used to say and it's don't read into the constitution if it's not plain yeah. in the constitution it's not in the constitution uh-huh and he he was very consistent at ruling and writing his opinions and keeping everything very focused on the text yeah. of the constitution and the context of what it meant at the time yeah in in you can't if if you if you leave that yep. mentality, it, and even if you stray just a little, yeah. it opens up huge huge doors yeah. for people to make policy without having been elected. Yeah. And our country was founded on the idea that the elected leaders make policy. Yep. Congress is the one branch dedicated to making policy. Yep. The Supreme Court is interpreting that policy, and if there's a problem with its constitutionality, they're supposed to step in, but they're not supposed to be making policy. Yeah. And so I think the biggest problem is we've accepted a lot of Supreme Court justices over the years that have abandoned that strict understanding of sticking to the actual plain meaning of the law and not putting a lot of effort into reading into it. Yep. It used to be that the Supreme Court would say, we are going to rule on this part over here and only this because it is clearly against the Constitution. Yeah. The rest of this is a political decision yeah. that is Congress's job yeah. to figure out, yeah. not our job. Right. And I think that that's, that's what our country and, and our Supreme Court was intended to yeah. do. And as, as like, like you both are saying, as, as the court has done more kind of ad activism, it's, I think, wouldn't, isn't it fair to say that it enshrines each issue, not necessarily rightly, but just the way it works out, is it enshrines each issue so that it always has to go back to the Supreme Court to have a different change on it versus if you just left it in the law – then the next Congress could change it. If, if, if we wanted improvement on this policy or this issue, you just strike down the old one, strike up the new one, versus if it's if it's a Supreme Court ruling, it's like just kind of always there unless you get a new court and unless you get them to take it down, right? Yeah. And that's what we've seen with abortion. Yeah. Abortion was illegal in most of the United States. Yeah. Until Roe v. Wade. Yeah. And now 
it can't be illegal in any of the states, mm-hmm. even the states that are, you know, they, they've written carefully crafted laws that yeah. protect mothers' rights and, yeah. you know, all these things. Like, yeah. they're able to carefully manage yeah. that this process, or at least they're trying to, yep. but nothing can go anywhere until the Supreme Court yeah. actually steps in and allows it, which that's not how our country was designed to function in terms of governing. Our our policies are supposed to be made by elected officials. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you guys for for kind of outlining that because I think that that'll be really helpful for for anybody listening. Um, In our last few minutes, I kind of want to go quickly through just some just some looking at this the next few weeks, the next few months of what this this nomination process is going to look like. First of all, um, President Trump's nominees, they've two two of them so far, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, they've kind of had brutal confirmation process. I would say Kavanaugh's was much more brutal than Gorsuch's, but he didn't have like a, a smooth ride through the park, you know. So um, why do you think that is? Is it just because Trump's, you know, orange man bad, you know, Democrats hate him so bad that they're not you – know, is it more political opposition than is usual or is it kind of what always happens? Well, <laughs> So the the cynical side of me is looking at the history of votes, and what you see is that Republicans are much more likely to support Democrat nominees than okay. Democrats are willing to support Republican nominees. Interesting. The, the votes for even Obama's nominees were, you know, about two-thirds for, yeah. one-third against, and the Republicans had more than one-third. Yeah. The Democrats have decided that the court is a place where they want to fight political battles. Okay. And so they do. Uh, Republicans still believe that it, it's, it should be about having a good justice who is going – it doesn't matter what their ideology yeah. is near as much as uh, how are they going to rule on the law. Yeah. So I think unfortunately Republicans are at a disadvantage because the Democrats rally and oppose uniformly. Okay. And that's just, I mean, Manchin didn't, uh, uh, Senator Manchin from West Virginia, he is uh, one of the few Democrats who is willing to cross the aisle and uh, consider a Republican nominee. But by and large, it has become a hyper-partisan issue. And it kind of goes back, you see Robert Bork was one of the first ones to really face that in in our, you know, modern world. Uh, then we saw uh, Clarence Thomas, um, who is who is now our, our oldest or our most senior yep. um, Supreme Court justice. And then you get to uh, Clinton's nominees, uh, including Ginsburg. She, she was approved 96 to 3 wow. votes. So, you know, that, that there's there even back then the Democrats were opposing the Republicans very viciously and the Republicans were still willing yep. to, to do this. So, you know, all, all that being said, I think we're going to see a very, very unified Democrat Party in okay. the Senate yeah. who are going to uniformly, except for maybe Manchin, um, but I think Manchin might even um, be – be persuaded right uh to to oppose uh we'll see so so would you say it's less about trump and more a consistent pattern that senate democrats have taken for the last few decades that's that's what it looks like to me yeah that's i think that's i think there's a lot of that um as well as just like with gorsuch Mm -hmm. there's also some outrage over the 
belief of so many Democrats that it was the stolen seat. And so they were upset at that, which is why you only had three Democrats voting to confirm to confirm uh, Gorsuch, okay. two of which are not in the Senate anymore, and Joe Manchin, the only one of those three who's still yeah. in the Senate. And then with Kavanaugh, you have moving from a swing vote, but more reliable for liberals than for conservatives, yep. but still swing vote, moving to a very conservative justice. Yep. And that, again, you had, um, I think... There, Manchin was the only Democrat. Manchin voted for to confirm uh, Kavanaugh. Yep. Every other Democrat voted no, and that's where I think it's like Jeremiah was saying. There's just, the Democrats want to fight their battles in the courts. Yeah. And so when you have nominees from Republicans, depending on where they're coming from, but especially if they they're seen as a reliable conservative. Yep. And Trump made clear in the 2016 presidential campaign he was going to be nominating conservative justices. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think there's large number of out, like votes out of there because they're looking policy-driven outcomes. Yeah. And like Jeremiah said, when Republicans senators look to vote, they're often looking at, is this person qualified? And if yep. they're qualified, I'm voting yes, even if that's not the person I would have nominated. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I, I think that all is is – insightful. We've got five minutes left before our next thing, so I just want to end with some really quick fire questions. Um, Glenn, what is the deadline for confirming a new justice? Is it is it election day? What's what's the deal? It's really before noon on January 3rd, 2021. That January is when 3rd. the new Congress okay. gets sworn in, yep. and that's when the nomination falls okay. if they don't have a vote by then. Is that so, the same as Inauguration Day? Or no, no, Inauguration Day is January 20. That's what I thought. So, so you have 17 days of a new Congress before the new president gets sworn so it's, in. So it's, it's January 3rd with the current Congress. If Republicans keep the Senate, then Trump and the Republicans could have— up to January 20th if Trump didn't win the next election. Yes. If he does win the next election and Republicans keep the Senate, it doesn't matter. Like it's whatever, however exactly. much time they want. Um, okay, great. Um, next question, uh, Jeremiah. Is it a better strategy for for Trump and the Republicans to confirm, to try and push to have a vote and actually like, you know, nominate and confirm before election day? Some people say that's not possible, but we've seen – in other cases, it has been possible to do it that quickly. Um, is a better strategy to do that or wait till after Election Day, uh, you know, January 3rd, even if it's like a lame duck session, they could still do it before the next Congress, even if they lost everything? I That's a good question. And I think what we're going to see in the next few days, yeah. and actually the next the, the coming weeks, is we're going to see that crystallize. Yeah. I think there is good argument to be made for doing it and before. Yep. I, obviously, the nomination is going to come through before. The sure. nomination is yeah. coming in. Yeah. Depending on that nominee, yep. there will be a big big discussion, a national discussion yeah. as to whether or not this person is worthy. And if the if the Democrats pull a lot of the same uh, tactics that yeah. they used with Kavanaugh with yeah. surprise hearings and, you know. Tactics is a nice word. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, they, if they do a lot of that and they bring out surprise testimony and all that kind of stuff, then uh, it, it could slow things down and it might be worth waiting until after the election mm-hmm. Uh, just, just to keep it out of the, n- not even to keep it out, but just because there's going to be, it's, it's going to slow things down yeah. to figure things out. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I think if, if we're, we're, uh, 
I don't know, fortunate is the right word, but if we're a, uh, maybe there will be a case where uh, the, the nominee will be the kind of person that even though there might be much anger right. at positions of yeah. the candidate, uh, they, they won't be able to take down the candidate in terms of, of um, scandal or, or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be great. Um, all right, final final questions. Um, do Republicans have enough votes to just, despite any Democrat opposition, just plow through? And if they do, because I think they do, how tenuous is that, Glenn? So right now it looks like they do. Uh, Lisa Murkowski and uh, Susan Collins both yep. said they won't vote to uh, have a confirmation vote this this year before the election day and before inauguration if President Trump doesn't win re-election. Yep. But right before coming in to record this podcast, I got the breaking news notification that Romney has come out and said he would – he supports having the confirmation process. Oh, really? Obviously, it uh, similar to Lamar Alexander, yeah. his statement with, I'm in favor of having – of like, I'm not opposed to having a vote on it. Yeah. Obviously, it has to be qualified. Right. He's nominee. not promising which way he'll vote, yeah. per se. I'm but, not yeah. going to vote for the nominee. I'm not saying I'm going to vote for the nominee not knowing who it is. Right. Yeah. But I'm fine with going through with that process. Yeah. With Romney coming out saying he's in favor of yeah. having a vote, yeah. that makes it very likely that they have the votes to yeah. um bring it up and to end up confirming whoever the nominee is. Because he tends to be like the the most rogue agent in the Senate as opposed to the Trump agenda, right? He, he, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski are the three who will buck the president and buck Senate leadership the most and basically say, I'm here, I'm doing my thing, and when it's convenient for me and I agree with you, I'm voting with you. When... I don't agree with you and it's not convenient for me. I'm not voting with you and yep. you can't just rely on me as a solid vote like so many of the others. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I think we got to wrap it. If you got to leave right this second, go for it. But if you have 30 seconds each or something, if if Ginsburg's seat was replaced with like a conservative justice and an, an originalist justice – what could this look like? like? Like, what policies could this impact? Why should? Why are people so hyped about it? Either if you're a Democrat, you're maybe not hyped. Mm-hmm. But if you're conservative, I know a lot of conservatives who are just totally stoked about this. Yeah, well, and I think the temptation is going to be to be hyped over policy. And like we were saying, policy should not be the driving force yeah. for, of the Supreme Court. However, one thing that I think is really important is that the court is supposed to uphold the basic fundamental human rights yeah. enshrined in our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence. And one of those key rights is the right to life. Yeah. It's in both documents. It's very uh, it's very clear. This is something that we should be protecting. Yep. And our current national state of affairs yeah. does not protect the human right to life. Yeah. And – as long as that's the case, we have an imbalance and it, yeah. it, it, and we have injustice in our land. Yeah. And so I'm hopeful that a pro-life justice on the Supreme Court can rebalance our nation 
on justice yeah. and bring back some of those fundamental rights that have been denied to so many unborn yeah. children. I like the way you phrase that, and I, I 100% agree because it, it brings it back to you're not looking for them to – you're not looking to get some majority so that you can like push through some policy. We're saying there's been some really bad decisions, some really inconsistent decisions with our basic governing documents. We need justices who have the guts enough to get in there and say precedent is fine except for when you're flying in the face of the Constitution and we're going to strike that down. Right. And, and we, we see this in the past. We look at the Dred Scott decision yeah. back before the Civil War where they ruled that Dred Scott being a black man yeah. was not eligible to have his rights recognized as an American yeah. because he was a slave. Yeah. And that's that's was wrong then. It's wrong now. Yep. And the Supreme Court had to adjust itself yep. to yep. correct that injustice. And I and I think we have the potential for that in the in the coming months in seeing that correction, which is huge. That would be huge. A lot of prayer, a lot of uh, strategy. Glenn, any final thoughts? I just, I completely agree with Jeremiah there. I think like the important thing is getting a justice who is going to look at stuff and go, this was wrongly decided. Yep. And in the case of Roe, I think it was wrongly decided. Yep. I want to see Roe overturned. And one of the things to point out is if they do it right, overturning Roe mm-hmm. does not make abortion illegal right. automatically. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't. It puts it back into the hands of state legislatures yep. where it should be. Yep. When you look at murder right now, that's not a federal statute. Mm-hmm. That's not, there's nothing federal that says that, except for like murder on the high seas <laughs> and areas there that are touched by federal law. So there's only one law keeping from being a pirate. <laughs> that's a state issue. Yeah. And when if Roe gets overturned, it goes back to the states, right. and the states can decide and vote on it. And yep. obviously, if that happens, I will do everything I can in Virginia, where I live, yep. and any other state in the country, sure. to make sure that they ban abortion and ban murder. Yep. But we'll see. That's what has to happen if they overturn Roe, yep. is it goes back to the states. It doesn't make a new federal policy. And that should honestly, you can if you're if you're a super fair minded Democrat. Or, or or pro-choice person, that argument could hold water where it's like, hey, this is just bad Supreme Court. Like, would jurisprudence be the word there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fancy word I'll pull out, you know? <laughs> um, the, and then, you know, so even if you're pro-choice, you could say, hey, this is just bad philosophically for how our court works. Go fight it out in the states, you know? Then think about the funding that would <laughs> go into some of the state house races. Good heavens. All right, guys, this is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to be following this closely. If there's any huge updates, maybe we'll do another one of these. Um, but there's your scoop. All right. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Absolutely. Daniel. Thank you, guys. Hey, friends, if you enjoyed today's episode of the Gen J podcast, go ahead and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, most of the other major podcast sites and apps. If you really liked the show, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a review, uh, hopefully a good review to help other people find it. Uh, This is really helpful when we're starting out with a new show to help people connect with the podcasts who are already listening to similar podcasts. We would love to stay in touch with you, so shoot us an email at info at generationjoshua.org or follow us at Generation Joshua on Instagram and Facebook. We will be back soon with another episode.